many churches, the elders are not leaders, they're followers. They stand up in a business meeting and they say, all you sheep who want to graze over here say, bah. And all you sheep over here who want to graze over here, you say, bah. And they count the bahs over here and the bahs over here. And that's how they run the church. That's not leadership. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, a daily walk through the Bible with Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church, of Beaufort, South Carolina. Today we begin a look at the Office of Elder as part of our ongoing study of the book of 1 Timothy. For the past couple of weeks, we've focused on gender roles in the church as addressed by the Apostle Paul in the second chapter of 1 Timothy. But today we move into chapter three, and that's where we join Dr. Brogy as he begins reading the first few verses from this passage. It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I recently read a government report on the state of the American family based on the 2000 census. And even our government is willing to admit that we are facing a serious problem and potentially an incredibly serious problem in the future as it relates to the American family and the future of our nation. A nation is only as strong as its families, and so history documents that when the family begins to unravel, so does the nation. And the government analysis was absolutely brilliant in terms of what was reported but in terms of the solutions, it was barren. They admitted in the report that what they had considered to be the answer for the last three decades, more education, has not worked. And in many ways, they don't really know what to do. How will we solve the problems of our society? Do you believe the Congress of the United States has the answer? I don't. I don't believe neither the politicians nor the universities can solve the problem of the family. We know better as Christians. We know that the answer is found in the Word of God. And that shouldn't make us boastful. That ought to make us humble. It ought to motivate us to become a part of God's solution and not a part of the problem. But to pull it off, we need leaders. And that's what our passage is talking about today. Leadership in the church. Let me set the context for you. Remember, Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus, a city that was once known for its doctrinal purity and fervency. But as Paul had prophesied years earlier, the church had fallen into doctrinal error. If you remember, he had warned the Ephesian elders. He said years before, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. 
So this first letter to Timothy largely is a corrective epistle to mend some of the doctrinal tears. He tells us that plainly in chapter 3. He said, In case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. And among some of the doctrinal error that this church had slid into was a problem as it related to women. And so as we saw in our last three messages, in chapter 2, verses 9 to 15, he deals with the role that women are to play in the local church. And it's a very comprehensive treatment of the role of women. And we learned that because of God's order in creation, and because of the way the fall came about, that a woman, Paul says in chapter 2 and verse 12, is not allowed to teach or to exercise authority over man. A woman is forbidden by God to be a pastor, not because she's less equal. She is forbidden to open and teach the Bible in a mixed group of men and women, not because she's less equal, but because God has given her a different role. And we noted that high and holy contribution that ladies have in developing leaders for the body of Christ, a theme that Paul's going to develop further in these pastoral epistles. And so having made it very clear that only men can serve as pastors, the qualifications that we find this morning in our text are male qualifications. He uses the Greek pronoun his throughout it. He speaks of the husband of one wife. If you can tell me how a woman can be the husband of one wife, I'll tell you how she can be a pastor. So he's describing here and delineating for us men who lead the church. And this person of Scripture does not deal so much simply with what elders do as much as it deals with what elders are to be. So don't tune me out this morning because I know some of you already have thought, well, I'm not an elder and I'll probably never be an elder, so this sermon doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to you. All Scripture, the Bible says, is God-breathed. It's inspired. It is profitable. In addition... You may not be an elder of a church, but you may be a leader in some other realm, maybe in a Sunday school class, maybe at your place of work, maybe in your home and the children that you're called to shepherd or as a grandparent. And these are principles that you want to have a handle on. And every lady, as she builds the little men and women who are to be the future leaders of the church, need to have a clear and concise picture of what the goal is, what the end is that you're trying to instill in these children. Peter likewise says that elders in 1 Peter 5 are to be examples to the flock. And so I know that these are character qualities that apply directly to you and to me. In fact, these are character traits that if sought after, will grow you up and mature you in Jesus Christ. Now, none of us are excused from this list that he gives because he's really delineating the marks of a mature believer. Now, these are characteristics that leaders need. You say, is it a checklist? Yes, in many ways it is. When you look for elders in the church, you ought to look at these qualities. You ought to see if a man meets these qualities. The problem is we don't have real leaders in our country, at least not nearly as many as we once had. We don't have people who have the guts to truly lead, to get out in front. What we have today are followers who run to the front and then they call themselves leaders. But leaders is more than... A leader is more than someone who's just up front. A leader is someone who's more is than just talk lows. He, he's more than a person who just simply speaks prolifically or proficiently. A leader is a man, a woman, who knows what is right, 
And then because his conviction is based on what is right, on truth, namely the Word of God, he has the desire and the ability to encourage other people to follow. But today we have leaders in government who put their finger to the wind. They find out what the popular sentiment is, and then they get out in front and they say, well, that's what I believe and I want your vote. And unfortunately, we have the same problem in the church today. People who step to the front with all the wrong motives and with all the wrong reasons. And so we have a generation of Christians in America who, in Paul's words, are being tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in craftiness and deceitful scheming. So we need leaders. And the reason we've had so many leaders in past days in America is because the church was strong. The church is the place where leaders are formed. The church is the place where leaders are modeled. The church is the place where people can look and go home and, and create in the smallest microcosm of society in their family the next generation of leaders. Now, you may be 10 years old here today, but you can be a leader. You can be different, but you need to know what a leader is. Do you remember what happened to Joshua and Caleb back there in the book of Numbers chapter 13? God said to Moses, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. God promised to give them the land, and so he told them to go in and spy it out, not to see if they would take it, but to see how they would take it. So the 12 spies who were called to be leaders from the respective tribes came back. And 10 of them said, you know, the land is just like God said it is. We went in the land where you sent us, and certainly it does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Only two spies really proved to be leaders. Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they knew what was right. They knew what God had promised. They knew what God had said. And they encouraged people to follow what God had said in spite of the majority report. They said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. The ten said, we're sorry, children of Israel, the dream is over. But these men said, no, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. They were saying the dream is not over. What do you mean we can't take it? We can take that which God has promised to give us. Yes, there are giants in the land, but our God is bigger than, than those giants, and it makes them look like grasshoppers. And that's why God called these men leaders. He could say, for instance, of Caleb, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. These two men, Joshua and Caleb, were different, and God knew it. 
And because of that, they were the only two men who were above the age of 20 who went into the promised land after 40 years of wandering. They didn't put their finger to the wind and see what the popular vote was. They fully followed God. They were real men, real leaders. And God honored them because of it, because they followed his word fully. You see, a leader doesn't look at what can't be done. A leader asks, how can we accomplish it? And that's what we need today, leaders. We need leaders in the government. We need leaders on the university campus. We need leaders in the home, and we need leaders in the church. And what an appropriate place to start here is we consider leadership in the church because many of you are first-generation Christians. You did not grow up in a home where a father thought through biblically what it was that he was precisely trying to develop into the hearts of his children. He was just following the flow of the culture, and the further the culture gets away from the Word of God, the further the children go. And so some of you, this is your first crack at it. But you are to find here in this text of Scripture and ideally modeled in the church men who lead so that you can take that back to your home and develop that in the hearts of your children. Now, as you can see here from your note-taking outline, I want to make three observations about leaders, three observations about those who serve in the office of elder. And I suggest that you take notes because these truths will be very helpful to you in having a clear picture of what you want to pray into your own life. But you may be a leader someday, or all of you at some point, very soon in fact, will be involved in the selection of leaders. And so you need to know what the qualifications are. First, some general observations about the office of elder. Notice how the discussion opens in verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now, three general truths are hammered home in this verse. First, I learn the office of elder is an office that is to be desired. It's an office that ought to be desired. He says that. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now, why would Paul feel even compelled to make such a statement? It seems like that would be obvious. Well, I think the people in the first century understood far more clearly than we do the grave responsibility that a leader has amongst God's people. Today, many people who sit on the boards of a church or a Christian organization often do with a sense of prestige rather than with a sense of deep accountability to God. And anyone who's ever read the Old Testament recognized that God held his leaders higher in terms of accountability than anyone else. Moses, who in one moment, on one occasion, because of his impatience and pride with the people, was forbidden to go into the promised land. The same truth in terms of accountability is echoed in the New Testament. The Apostle James says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we, that is himself and other leaders, he's speaking of those who serve in the office, shall incur stricter judgment. In like tone, in terms of accountability, the writer of the Hebrews said, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, note, as those who will give an account. And so the Holy Spirit, I think, recognizing the hesitancy of the sensitive soul to seek this office of leadership, wants to contradict the notion that a person who seeks the highest office in the church is not doing something good. 
It is a good thing. It is a high and healthy and holy aspiration, something that you should be encouraged to think about and not be discouraged to serve. Of course, the person who seeks to be an elder for the prestige or honor that's involved is not good. But if he is doing it in the will of God based on the word of God, it's a noble work. So first, the office of elder is an offer, office that is to be desired. But there's a second general observation I draw from verse 1, and it is this. The office of elder is an office which involves oversight. It involves oversight. Again, in verse 1, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now, there's a need today to affirm men who are in pastoral ministry. Many people think that the church would be better off without pastors. And I suppose in some places that would be true. But God needs pastors. He needs good men to pull off his work. And we're going to see that God uses elders. They're called overseers here to do it. And as we'll see in verse 8 and what follows, deacons to assist them in the work. But I want you to note this word overseer. If you're using the King James or the RSV, it says bishop. The New Testament mentions only two offices, the office of elder and the office of bishop. And so, for instance, when Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he said, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Now, this word overseer is the Greek word episkopos. We get the word Episcopalian from it. And one of the distinctives of Episcopalian government is it's based on bishops, but in a different sense than we would see here in our church. And then there's the Greek word elder, presbyteros, and that is the word from which we get the word Presbyterian. And so Presbyterian government has a presbytery, it has a board of elders that lead the church. But what I want you to see is that in the New Testament, the word elder, overseer, bishop, pastor are interchangeable terms that refer to the same office. Let me document that for you. I'll give you a few verses. First from Acts 20. We read, and from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So he refers here to elders, overseers in the church. And he says here, be on your guard for yourself and for all the flock amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or bishops in some of your translations. So what is he saying? He writes, he calls the elders together. And then in the same address, he calls these elders overseers. And he calls them the shepherd or to pastor the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In like fashion, in Titus chapter 1, Paul said, For this reason I left you, that is Titus in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders, plural, in every city as I directed you. Then he says, For the overseer or the bishop must be above reproach. Likewise, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, Peter addresses the elders, and then in verse 2, he says, and there he uses the verbal form, they are to exercise oversight. It's the same word in the noun form that gives us overseer or bishop. That is, they are to bishop the people. And so the writings of the church fathers, that generation of men who followed the apostles, when they wrote of the early church, they spoke of two offices, not three. Two offices. The office of elder, 
in the office of overseer or bishop. But today, in some denominations and groups, we have three offices. We have a third group. The office of bishop appeared as the church progressed, but you don't find it in Scripture. So today, we have some of these super elders who have authority over numerous churches. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I've been in churches that are like that. I grew up in one like that. And some of you have grown up in churches where there are super elders. They're called bishops. And instead of managing a congregation, they manage a group of clergy. But you don't find that anywhere in the New Testament. The New Testament church is autonomous. There's not a structure. There's not a hierarchy above the local church. The only ones who were above the local church in the New Testament era were the apostles. And, of course, they were in a unique office because to be an apostle, you had to have seen the risen Christ. You had to have been hand-selected by Christ to be an apostle. And your ministry had to be confirmed. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 tells us with those signs, wonders, and miracles that only an apostle could do. So no one can fill the office of apostle today. And even the apostles, as you read through the Acts of the Apostles, were sensitive to the leaders in the local church, such that Peter calls himself not the first pope, but a fellow elder in 1 Peter 5.1. So very clearly what I'm wanting you to see is that the term elder, overseer, bishop, pastor are used synonymously. And the oversight that an elder gives is directed not towards clergy, but towards the local church. I'm not only an elder, I'm a bishop. That doesn't mean I'm a super clergyman, but it does mean that God has given me a local flock to help take care of. And that's as high as it goes in the New Testament. And I think that's important because some of these man-made formations that have developed through the centuries are just that, man-made. And I believe God was trying to protect us from that because he knows what power can do and how power can corrupt so I want you to see that an elder is one who exercises oversight. He bishops the people. The word episkopos, episcopus, you can hear the word scope. It literally refers to one who uh, looks over, one who guides the affairs. And so when we come to the book of Titus, we're going to learn that an elder is referred to God as God's steward. He is the steward of the church. He looks over. He takes care of the church. When we talk about stewardship of our money, we are affirming that it's not my money, it's God's. When we talk about the stewardship of our time, we're saying it's not my time, it's God's time. And someday I'll give an account as to how I used it. It's not my body, it's God's body because I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, his point to the elders is that they are stewards of the church. It's not my church, it's Christ's church, it's God's church. It belongs to the chief shepherd who bought it and purchased it with his own blood. And as a steward, I am called to help watch over it. I am just an under-shepherd. And so an elder is to give oversight. And in the New Testament, we find that he gives oversights in several examples, in several ways. We've just read in 1 Peter 5 that an elder is to be an example to the flock. And it's interesting because when Paul called the elders together at Ephesus, and he had spent more time in the city of Ephesus than in any other city in all of his missionary journeys, he had been there with them for three years. And he reminded them what he did as a fellow elder and what God was calling them to do as elders. And there were many ways in which they were to emulate him. For instance, they were to exercise oversight in the process of winning people to Christ. In Acts 20, verse 18, he said, 
And when they, that is the elders, had come to him, that is Paul, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Note verse 21, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, one thing I did that I'm leaving you as an example for you to do is I won people to Jesus Christ. And an elder is to be involved in that process. He may be used in a different capacity than other elders, but he is at least to try. People in the church ought to look at that elder and say, you know, there's a man who's constantly trying to bring people into the kingdom of God. And if I preach to you that you ought to win souls to Christ and I don't attempt to do it, then I am not an elder leading by an example. In addition, an elder is one who is to teach sound doctrine. And he is to teach sound doctrine so that the congregation in turn might be motivated to know and teach sound doctrine in turn. Well, how do they do that? By opening the word of God. Peter said to the elders, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight. And Paul certainly modeled that to the Ephesian elders. He said, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Now that word whole indicates not only the things that men like to hear, but the things that they don't like to hear. Not only the things that I like to preach, but even the things I don't like to preach. The things that are hard to preach. That's part of exercising oversight. And we learn from Paul's discourse to the Ephesian elders that our oversight also involves guarding the people from cults and from false doctrine. He warned them, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, because that's where it often happens. People who sneak in unannounced, Jude says, they speak perverse things. They draw people away. They make disciples after themselves. And so he says, be on the alert. In John chapter 10, Jesus told us that wolves would come in sheep's clothing. Why? Because they want to destroy the sheep. And so we have to identify these wolves. We have to name them. Otherwise, young, tender sheep won't know who they are. And when you do that, especially when you're dealing with Protestants and mainline denominations that have now departed from the historical faith, you're called harsh. You're called undivisive. When you name the cults like Mormons and Jehovah's Witness, you say you're uncaring. No, that's what an elder is to do. That's part of his job. In addition, an elder is one who rules. He leads. He has authority from God. He's going to later write in 1 Timothy 5, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Some elders are referred to those who rule well because they lead the flock. And so again in Hebrews 13, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And yet with such clear statements like this, Many Christians in America have the false impression that the local church is a democracy. And they build their theology on the American culture rather than on the Word of God. And so in many churches, the elders are not leaders, they're followers. They stand up in a business meeting and they say, all you sheep who want to graze over here say, bah. And all you sheep over here who want to graze over here, you say, bah. And they count the bahs over here and the bahs over here. And that's how they run the church. That's not leadership. That's not 
according to the dictates of Scripture. You won't find that anywhere in the Word of God. What you have when you do that is a formula for disaster. God is very specific on how His church should be led. And when we return tomorrow, we'll see what else Paul has to say to Timothy regarding the establishment of elders. To listen again to today's study in its entirety, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program 1TM7. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to getting together again tomorrow as we search the scriptures.